the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There is so much noise being spewed against the police, against law and order, calling everything racist. And I just think we owe it to ourselves to listen to other viewpoints. This seems to be the narrative, and I kind of am sick of that word, but it seems to be the theme that many in the media want to propagate. But there are actual real people living in real communities who disagree and are seeing through all of that. And our guest is one of them. He is former, now retired, Army Lieutenant Colonel Mike Russell. He has said that we should call him Mike. I like to read people the Twitter bios that people post for themselves. Veteran, common sense conservative, father, husband, Catholic. He enjoys traveling and the gym and loves his Weber grill. (laughs) He also happens to be gay. So you take all of those things, a Catholic conservative, a gay man, a black gay man who served in the military, has run for office in Atlanta and is seeing firsthand all the craziness, the crime, the lack of law and order and what it's done to his community. He has some great stories to tell and some great wisdom to pass on. Mike Russell joins us next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. I'm going to get this out of the way for our listeners and viewers. You have asked me to call you Mike, even though you're a retired lieutenant colonel. And I, I believe that when you earn that title, you should be called that. But you have requested, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right, Mike, I'm so glad you joined us. You were recommended to me by a previous guest I had on this show who also lives in Georgia, and he is an activist and an attorney and a friend of yours, Jeff Cleghorn. Um, he, He was so thrilled that 34 years later, you had an honor uh, attached to you that he thought was 34 years too late. First, can you describe the difference between the the honor that you first received for your actions, uh, and this is the whole Noriega fiasco, um, versus what you got now with the bronze medal with the, they call it the device of valor. How would you explain that to someone like me who doesn't know anything about this stuff? Well, actually, I didn't get anything the first time. And but three of my soldiers were um, recommended for bronze stars with the V device for valor in combat. And my boss at the time, who didn't care for me, uh, downgraded them. And so when I went to uh, uh, advocate for them, I was told by the battalion XO that I had also been put in for an award. But that wasn't really important to me. It was my three soldiers. Well, uh, I wasn't able to convince him to change it. And it was unauthorized that he downgraded the awards. So 34 years later, a friend of mine, uh, we were just sitting around drinking a beer and I was talking about old times. And he said, hey, you should write a letter 
and get this corrected. So I did. <clears throat> Sorry. And um, in the course of that investigation, they found out about the award that was uh, originally written for myself and a couple of others. And thanks to General Thigpen of U.S. Army South, uh, seven of us uh, received awards. Now, three guys are still missing. I'm hoping that with this podcast and others, we will find them so that we can get their awards upgraded to uh, Bronze Stars with V devices. But four of us received them on the 9th of uh, December in um, Texas at the invitation of General Thigpen, who I can't say enough good things about because he pushed this issue all the way up to the Secretary of the Army and got these awards approved. Well, people generally do that when they feel very passionate about about the truth and about you know um, things being done right and and some wrongs being righted. I, I'm hesitant to ask this, but again, this shows my ignorance, my naivete about these things. You've just said that people are still missing. Are you talking about they are missing from that conflict in 1989? No, sorry. They're missing and we cannot find them. You just can't and find them. We can't find them. And the part of the problem is of the people that I've talked to, none of us can remember their names. I can remember distinctly their platoon sergeant coming to me and saying, hey, sir, this is what these guys just did. We need to put them in for a medal. And I agreed. And the awards officer wrote them up. And the first sergeant, who unfortunately now is deceased, and of all the people that I've talked to, no one can remember these three soldiers' names. And that's wow. part of the reason we can't find them. So I'm still looking for them. Um, we've asked other people in our uh, past to help us try to find them because they are most deserving of this award. What would be helpful to our listeners and viewers to, to, to know about this, to help in this effort to find these guys? If you know anyone who was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, during the invasion of Panama, uh, we were in the uh, 108th Military Police Company. We fought downtown in Panama City alongside the infantry as part of Task Force Bayonet. So if you know anybody who's associated with that, please reach out to them and ask them, do you know of three MPs who were um, recommended for Bronze Stars with V devices, but they ended up receiving Army, accommoda Army accommodation medals with a V device? And if they do find someone uh, that fits that description, wh where do they go? How do they reach you? Please contact me. Probably the easiest way is on Twitter or X. My handle there is Mike at Mike Russell ATL. Mike Russell ATL. Um, and, and we'll get into that in a second, too, your association with Atlanta and what you're trying to do there. But these are, these are really interesting, and I don't mean that in a good way, times for the military. Uh, we know that retention, um, recruitment is not going as well as it has in the past. And then we've had Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin kind of hide away. Uh, you can understand why someone might not want to publicize the fact that he has prostate cancer. But even the President of the United States did not know he was hospitalized. You've had extensive military experience. What did you make of that whole incident? I kind of felt it was misreported or unbelievable. Uh, general Austin retired as a four-star, a full general. He was in the military for 40 years. And if anybody should have known better, he should have. Uh, 
that when you are in a command position and you're not available to perform your duties, you make sure that the succession of command is in place and that things are set up so that the mission carries on. I talked to one of my old bosses the other day, and he was also flabbergasted. We, we could not come up with a logical explanation as to why somebody with that level of experience would do something like that. It's just, it, it just can't fathom why he did that. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And because it's unfathomable to to those of us outside of the military as well, just this kind of basic, wait, people didn't know? And, and you're the Secretary of Defense? Wow. Um, so what should happen? There are a lot of people out there, uh, pundits, people who are have a history in the government who think this is such a bad precedent to set that there is no way he should continue on in this role, that he should be replaced. What, what do you think? I would resign if for no other reason that it caused embarrassment to the commander in chief and it was a severe lapse in judgment. So I, I think the honorable thing to do would be to uh, not force the president to fire you, but to simply offer his resignation. Interesting. Well, he's now out of the hospital, out of Walter Reed and working from home. We'll see if he offers to do that, but it, it doesn't sound like the commander in chief is looking for that. And, and that's almost as baffling to me that, that it's just going to be kind of, Oh, it's okay. We're not, we're going to just let this lie. I mean, if you're the commander in chief, don't, aren't you ticked off? True. And I would think that some advisor around him who's familiar with the military and the military uh, ethic would advise him, Hey, sir, this is, doesn't look good to the rank and file. You know, there are lower ranking officers, NCOs who have done less, who have been reprimanded or uh, discharged from the service, yeah. certainly relieved of duty. Um, this sets a bad precedent for the military. It's going to be really something to watch. No, no question. Um, especially at a, you know, this is a time in our history where we've got what's going on in Ukraine with Russia and we've got the Israeli war in Gaza, and we're intimately involved in those two things. So for this to be happening under grave circumstances, does that make it even worse? Or is there just simply no excuse, no matter whether we're at peacetime or not? It, I think it makes it more dangerous, but there's no excuse for this. I mean, uh, in my 28 years, some of the best secretaries of defense, in my view, based on their support for those of us who were in the field, were Rumsfeld and Gates. Um, I never heard a leader, you know, we normally didn't talk politics, 
but uh, you would hear people really praise them for their um, ability to stand up for the military. Uh, and I don't see that, unfortunately, with uh, General Austin. It's uh, this is this is troubling. Um, you know, it's it's and he is a massive part of the administration. And so it, it does not reflect well on an administration that, in my mind, is already struggling. I, I want to get to a couple of other things because I find you to be um, a really interesting representative, not only of the military, but you also have a vested interest in the city of Atlanta. So when people <clears throat> go to your Twitter page, they will see Mike Russell for Atlanta. Uh, so it's at Mike Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L-A-T-L is the Twitter handle. And your description, which you've written yourself, is veteran, common sense conservative, father, husband, Catholic, enjoy traveling, gym five days a week. And I think it's something about your Weber grill. <laughs> you yeah, love my, grilling? My uh, husband let me buy a expensive Weber grill that I love. And uh, I have a little icon on there that shows that I speak English and a bit of German. Okay, right, right. It's um, you're a fascinating guy. So you've just outed yourself too, and which you've never hidden from this. You are gay. Um, it seems to me, it seems to a lot of people. First of all, if you're a black conservative, you 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 can be called a lot of names, and I've seen you called some of those names uh, by idiots on Twitter. What is that like for you? How isolating is that? How angering is that? Or is it just to be expected? I think at this point, it's just to be expected. As you know, I ran for public office. I lost. I ran for uh, Atlanta City Council president. And, you know, I catch it from all sides. I catch it because I'm black. I'm gay. I'm a veteran. I'm a Catholic. And it doesn't really bother me because, uh, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, when, when people can't compete in the arena of ideas, they start calling names. Yeah, exactly. And so what I find is when I, I set a position and make it known and people can't counter that with facts or logic, then they start calling me names and then I know I've won the argument. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't really bother me. Um, we've had to have uh, police protection a short while ago, um, but that didn't bother me either. Um, but... Why did you need police protection, Mike? <clears throat> well, you, you may have heard that uh, the city of Atlanta is building a public safety training center for police, fire, uh, medical. And there are some radicals who are against that. So a few months ago, I went down to City Hall and spoke on behalf of the police and other first responders in our city. And the radicals were not happy with that. And they started coming after me on social media and other places. So out of an abundance of caution, um, the police chief put some security on my house for a while. And then it, it just kind of fizzled out. But that that wasn't the first time. It probably won't be the last. I, You know, God bless the police and thank God for the police and, and people who want to defund and just abolish the police. I, I don't think they really know what they're saying. I, I don't know how you could expect to live in a civilized society without um, lawmakers and law enforcement. Uh, you know, you have people who make laws and people who enforce it. You know, I was uh, on a podcast a couple of years ago where the host, who is a, I think he's part Cuban, tried to tell me 
that the police were simply an offshoot and were really invented in America to to catch runaway slaves, that that was the genesis of police in America. And I was so dumbfounded, I almost, I couldn't answer. I was like, I just wanted to say, how stupid do you think people are? But I didn't have the wherewithal at the time to, to, to say just that. Why do they think, what is, what is behind that messaging? What, what is it that people are trying to do with that kind of description? It's very uh, confusing to me as well. There are some people who just hate police. But I can tell you, I live in a predominantly black neighborhood here in Atlanta. And our neighbors, my neighbors, love the police. I sit on the um, executive board for the, for the community. <clears throat> and every time the police come, you know, we've had the police chief here a couple of times. Our zone, which is zone one, just received an award for having the greatest reduction in crime in the city of Atlanta in 2023. Wow. And one of the local larger black churches invited the police chief and the mayor to come for a press conference to announce that. Um, we've had events where the police are invited. When we had National Night Out, uh, Darren uh, Shubon, the police chief, came. He was surrounded, inundated with people. They fed him. They, you know, they wanted to take pictures with him and, and their children. And every time we have a community meeting, you know, I also sit on the public safety committee. What residents ask is for more police. They want a safe neighborhood and not just from, you know, crime, but also from, you know, speeding, all, all the things that the police enforce. So I think it's a, it's a part of it is a, a media myth where they take a few loud mouths and they try to, uh, make that seem like that is the majority of black Americans. Mm -hmm. In my personal experience here in Atlanta, that's not the case. We love our police chief. We love our police officers. Uh, as a matter of fact, today, one of our neighborhood charities is providing, um, <clears throat> sorry, yesterday, one of our neighborhood charities provided lunch for all the police officers in our zone. So. You know it's it, these are the stories that seem to just get lost or people don't want to promote them because it goes against the, the this is the word the narrative that you know that police are bad and that people are oppressed and that uh, you know um all of the the generalizations and storytelling that gets done through the media uh, and and you just hope that voices this is why I wanted to have you on uh, I think your voice is common sense and it's real and it's authentic and it's representing far more people than the other side is representing. After George Floyd, everyone said we need police to be trained properly. So there in Atlanta, you're trying to build a training facility and people start tying themselves to trees to try to prevent it. You know, and, and there was gun violence there as well. Didn't somebody die? One of the uh, eco-protesters who fired on the police who were clearing the camp, they had been there for over a year, um, he fired on one of the police officers, seriously wounded a Georgia state trooper, and, of course, the police returned fire and he was killed. Um, they've proven that the gun was his. He, you know, he purchased the gun. He fired on police. And it's amazing. There was just a story the other day where they left that part of the story out. They just talked about him being killed, but they didn't mentioned the fact that he first opened fire on uh, police officers, sorry, and they returned fire. 
And that is one of the things that the radicals were upset about when I went to speak at City Hall is that I just went down the line and called out their lies. You know, they're not misrepresentations. They're just open, flat out lies. And that angered them. And uh, one of the things I said was, if you can't even call it by its proper name, they call it Cop City, then how are we to trust anything else you say? So um, it's over 65% complete and it will be completed. And our officers and our uh, firefighters and our medics and our 911 center uh, call um, uh, personnel are all going to get much better training at that facility. And hopefully it will be a model for other places. You know, I, that's, that's one thing you can hope for, that it works, that it turns out to be a boon, which I, th- I think, how can it not be for, for Atlanta and for all of Georgia really to model after? You know, I talked to someone like, I'm talking to you and I'm hearing, like I said, a real authentic voice who seems, who's someone who has served someone who has served in public service even beyond the military, who's trying to help the community, who who is involved in a lot of different organizations, charitable church, you name it. And 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 so I could see why people on the other side, the radicals, whatever, would want to silence you. They don't want people to believe that good people with good hearts and genuinely good intentions do good and productive and legitimate things that make a difference. Um, is this something we can overcome? Like I, I, you're sitting here on my podcast, we're talking about it. People are hearing you. More people outside of Atlanta are hearing you. But does this, how do we change this, this conversation about what is good and what is right in this country? I think there's an awakening happening. Some friends of mine uh, we've been talking about this for a while and we can't say exactly what it is or how pervasive, you know, how widespread it is, but there's definitely awakening happening, particularly in the black community. And they're tired of the same old thing, the same boogeyman. They're starting to see through the facade of the woke liberalism that it's not productive for them or their families. Uh, we just had a community outreach on Saturday, a brunch for community members in South Fulton to talk about uh, youth and education, educational freedom. And of course, there are a lot of people who are against that, but the residents showed up and we're going to continue to do that here. And we're not making it overtly uh, partisan. We don't want to do that, but we want to uh, present ideas to people options of how they can change their lives and and educating them on how they can become involved and make a difference in their community. It just, and I'm not alone in this. I have another friend down in Albany, Georgia, uh, King Randall. He runs a school for boys. He's been on our show. I love him. And the stuff that he's been put through, the threats, you know, they tried to destroy his school last summer. Uh, He's a great guy. Uh, I nominated him and he was accepted as one of the um, winners for the uh, MLK Legacy Award to to carry on uh, improvements in our society, along with another friend of mine, uh, Myron Fontaine, who's known by the prison doctor. You should probably have him on one time. Uh, And then, you know, these guys, you know, Myron has to have a bodyguard 
when he travels now. And what he does is he goes into dysfunctional homes. Vast majority are single black moms with kids or grandparents who are out of control. And he goes in and he changes the family dynamic and he gets these kids back on the right path before they go to jail. And you would think this is such a noble cause that everybody would be for it. No, because, you know, as Booker T. Washington said, they're, you know, paraphrasing him. There are people who don't want the troubles to go away because they're grifters and they make their living. They get their status from there being racial tension in this country. And that's why a lot of them come after me because I'm playing with their piggy bank, right? If I say black, white, Hispanic, Asian, we're all getting along and I don't see this in our daily lives, they get, I mean, outraged. They're upset, right? And then that's when the name calling starts because this is how they make their living. This is their status in the community. Yeah. And if you say that, you know, these, we're in Atlanta, the cradle of the nonviolent civil rights movement, as I like to call it. And we've got issues that transcend race and religion and uh, whatever. They do not like that. And, and the reason is, is because it takes something away from them. Part of it is status. Part of it is income. Yeah. I, I love what Booker T said. I'm a huge Booker T. You know, when people talk about who would you have at a dinner table if you could just have two or three people dead or alive, he's he's like number one on my list because the the courage and the difference that he made, and he wasn't afraid to call that out, and he did say it. You know, this this grievance industry is is kept alive by people, and you look at Al Sharpton. The man <laughs> makes a fortune. And keeps telling people how aggrieved they are and that they've got to keep DEI and uh, CRT alive and all those, you know, because it it foments this. It keeps this thing going. And, and that's his job. That's that's the only way he makes money. Right. Yeah. I mean, the guy is. No, I'm not trying to be mean, but he's barely literate. If you've ever watched him on television, read a cue card. It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's riding around in private jets. Yeah. Because he and others are making buck off of the race industry. And he keeps this going for his own, to his own advantage. And it's a shame, but I think a lot of people are waking up to that. Um, About two years ago, Myron and I were going around the city, you know, talking. I was running for office and he was promoting his his program. And uh, we were sort of like a tag team. And this mother uh, contacted us who was going to sponsor an event to stop the violence in Atlanta. This was just after we had the murder in Piedmont Park Mm. and things were, you know, spiraling out of control. And the vitriol that she received from trying to uh, stop the violence and the pushback that she got. And one of the things she told me was that Al Sharpton had found out about her program. So they invited her up. She met with him and they wanted to take over the program. And it was all about money. They saw that, saw it as a money making thing. And I didn't initiate this conversation. She told me, she said, I would never have anything to do with Al Sharpton, his program, because she was a believer before until she met them in person. And she's like, no way. They wanted to completely take over my organization and she could see it was only so he could, you know, raise his image. 
and make money off of it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <clears throat> Have two questions. Will you run for office again? <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me that, I'm sure. um, but you'd, you'd have enough money to run a campaign. Right. I'm not sure um, at this point. No, I'm not seeking to run for office again. Um, I won't say never, but right now I'm not looking to do that. I'm really heavily involved in my community. Uh, right now, I'm trying to put together another series of concerts. I did three last year. I'm looking for donors to put together a series of concerts where I'm bringing in a quartet that plays classical music and they blend that with popular music to expose our kids to something positive and different um, other than this gangster rap type music. And I got this idea because my music teacher, when I was in like the eighth grade, did something similar for me and others. And I thought this is a great way to open these kids' eyes, not just to the music, but to show them that they belong to a wider world that is positive and that they have other options other than trying to be a rapper or a basketball player or a criminal. And so I did that last year with three theme concerts, and I'm going to I'm trying desperately to raise funds to do it again uh, this summer. That, that all of this is noble, whether you run for office or not, you are a difference maker. The other thing I did want to ask you about is, you know, it's so we're, we're in, living life in the immediate moment and it's easy to forget about better times behind us, better times ahead of us. Was there ever a time in in your lifetime that you recall where things were different, where where it wasn't as divided, where people did get along, where Al Sharpton wasn't as uh, his like wasn't as sought after or or omnipresent. You know, um, you may have seen in my bio, I grew up in a segregated neighborhood in Oklahoma, Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, everybody I knew in my family was on one street. My great-grandmother lived at the top of the hill next to the elementary school where I went, where my mother went. Um, my aunt and my first cousins and, and, and our family, we all lived on one street, basically. And when I wrote my bio for my campaign, I called my middle brother and I said, hey, can you look this over? Because I may be misremembering this, hmm. that it was so wonderful as a child. And um, he said, no, he said, you know what? He said, I remember it as being like the black version of Leave it to Beaver. You know, the houses were smaller. We didn't have the money or, you know, but, every, you know, I could walk from my school to a couple of houses down to my great grandmother's house. I could walk all the way down that street at night. Never felt threatened. You didn't have to lock your front door. My dad could leave his keys in the car. It, it was not an issue. You go to that same neighborhood. Now it looks like a war zone. When we moved from that neighborhood, we moved right down the street about a mile and a half. Um, to a brand new subdivision that was mixed race, never had racial tensions, not one time. Um, we lived as military brats all over the place. I never remember having any kind of racial strife, and I was in you know mixed race environments in the military. As the years passed, you know some things crept up. You know, there's always that oddball idiot out there, but nothing like what we're living through now. And I not to politicize this, but I think a lot of it has to do with President Obama. I think he had an opportunity to bring this nation even further forward. But the first moment he got into trouble, 
he played the race card and used it as a weapon and a shield to protect himself from criticism. And I think that has just pushed us back at least a decade. But hopefully that is changing now and we will see things start to come together. I worked uh, with uh, Andrew Young and helped organize his 90th birthday celebration. We unveiled a statue, we did a dinner, and I did some uh, recordings for advertisement with him. Excuse me. And sitting in the room, I mean, he's like a living history book. And listening to him talk about his times with Dr. King and C.T. Vivian and all the rest was so inspiring. And we were crying, me and the... uh, producer when he finished and we're just I'm just hopeful that we can get back to a time where we have somebody who can inspire us to be better to do better and to make this nation better um, the other thing I try to work on here in Atlanta is to teach the history of the nonviolent civil rights movement that this was about bringing people together not this DEI thing about equity but about equality and judging people by two criteria character and merit, nothing else. Nothing else should matter when you're assessing or judging a person, but character and merit. And that was the message of the civil rights movement. And that's what I heard echoed through the voice of Andrew Young. And unfortunately, this movement has been hijacked by people who are pitting us against each other, who by definition are racist and bigots because they're judging people by the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their religion, their sex or whatever. And uh, that needs to stop. And hopefully there are enough of us who raise our voices to uh, turn this around because we've made a hard, wrong left turn and we need to get back on track. Oh, that is so beautifully and well said. You've just inspired me. I, I, I was close to shedding a tear there because I, it is such a hopeful message. It's such an important one. Don't stop what you're doing. Please don't stop what you're doing. Um, we need you so much. Yeah. Atlanta needs you. Your community needs you. The country needs you. And uh, I'm glad I could share you with our listeners and our viewers uh, in this podcast. And I hope we can visit again. It was such oh, a thank you. I'm very uh humbled and uh, grateful to have this opportunity. And any time that uh, you invite me back, I'll be here. He is Mike Russell. He likes to be called Mike, but he is a retired Lieutenant Colonel, Army Lieutenant Colonel Mike Russell. And I respect you and I am grateful for your service. And I'm so glad you received the honor that you probably don't care as much about, but those of us who believe in merit and character do like to see it rewarded. Uh, So, Mike, thank you. We'll do it again. And everyone, you know, this is I always say this at the end of every podcast because and he is an example of it. Be brave and do good. It's pretty simple. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.